ILCA is, today, the world's leading and most important multidisciplinary society tackling liver cancer. ILCA. Hello everyone, my name is Lorenzo Rimassa. I'm Associate Professor of Medical Oncology at Humanitas University and Humanitas Research Hospital in Milan, Italy. Today I have the pleasure of being here with Jens Markvart, Professor of Gastroenterology and Hepatology at the University of Lübeck in Germany. And today we are going to have a discussion about the session entitled Latest Data in Systemic Therapy for Liver Cancer that we had the pleasure to co-chair at the ESO Liver Cancer Summit 2022. During this session, speakers and panelists discuss some of the most relevant hot topics in the field of systemic therapy for liver cancer, including hepatocellular carcinoma and cholangiocarcinoma. The first talk was uh, on latest data and considerations for treatment sequencing in HCC, given by Maria Reg from the BCLC in Barcelona, Spain. Uh, Jens, would you like to comment on what uh, has been presented and discussed on this topic uh, by Maria? Yes, absolutely, and many thanks for introducing me so kindly. Um, I think it was a fantastic session, and it gave a lot of food for thoughts for future um, clinical trial design, but also for um, the current problems that we are facing in HCC. Maria nicely recapitulated the results of the latest phase three trials, um, including COSMIC 312, Himalaya, Orient 32, but also Keynote 394. And I think while reviewing all this data, um, it became apparently clear that currently the standard of care in advanced HCC is an IO combination. And I think atezolizumab, bevacizumab with an overall survival rate of 19.2 months can be considered the standard of care. But Lorenza, how would you put this data in context of the latest phase three trials? Uh, yes, uh, thank you for the question. The point is that now we will have, uh, uh, and we will have in the near future, different treatment options in first line. It will be good for the patient because we have more than one option, but we will have to uh, decide which is the best treatment uh, for each patient. And this is really difficult because uh, at least so far, we don't have uh, any biomarker to select patients. Uh, and so it will be difficult to choose between atezolizumab plus bevacizumab or durvalumab plus trimelimumab or maybe also cabozantinib uh, atezolizumab or even uh, the single-agent tyrosine kinase inhibitors like serafinib and lenvatinib or the single-agent IO like durvalumab based on the Himalaya trial. So I think that we will have to uh, considering the data we have uh, based on the clinical trials, uh, but also not only the efficacy data, but also the safety data, the quality of life. We have to consider uh, patient preferences uh, in the clinic, and then we need to uh, generate more data, maybe from real-world evidence, and we need to uh, identify biomarkers that in the future will help us uh, select uh, the different treatments. And uh, Maria also presented uh, the updated uh, BCLC staging system. What do you think of this? Uh, of the changes that they implemented uh, in the staging system? I found this extremely intriguing. And I think in this new update in 2021, they really delineate the current standard of care and the transition from one stage to another. But this new update also indicates that there are selected patients that not necessarily need to be treated according to the old BCLC staging classification. For example, there is patients in the immediate stage, intermediate stage, that have very large and diffuse HCCs but limited to the liver, but those patients that qualify for upfront systemic therapies. So you can really select 
what treatment might be the best choice for your specific patient. And I think one of the key advantages of this new classification is also that it includes really decision-making tools. And thus it combines the evidence and the daily clinical practice that goes beyond the evidence from clinical trials. And what I found interesting um, is that she also, or we talked and discussed a lot, patients that are unsuitable for the new first line. And also subgroup analysis of Asian patients. What's your take on, on this aspect? Yeah, it's another important aspect. For patients who are not suitable for combination therapies, probably we have still to use tyrosine kinase inhibitor as a single agent in first line. For instance, for patients who are who have contraindications for immune-oncology drugs due to prior liver transplant or autoimmune disorders or other contraindications. So tyrosine kinase inhibitors will still be used uh, in clinical practice. And for uh, results coming from Asian trials, uh, I think it, it, it's difficult to translate the results from Asian population to Western uh, population because um, patients are different. The etiology of the liver um, the chronic liver disease is different, more HBV in Asian patients, more HCV or uh, metabolic syndrome, non-viral etiology in, in Western countries. Maybe the prior local regional treatments are different. So I, I think it, it, it's not so easy to use the data generated in, in Asian trials in, in Western patients. But as you mentioned, we have a lot of um, new therapies and new things we have to think of uh, and to address uh, to, to identify the better, uh, the best treatment uh, for, for our patients. And uh, another important point uh, that Maria addresses is uh, when is the right time to move uh, from one line of treatment uh, to the subsequent one? Uh, does any progression have the um, same importance, uh, the same role, uh, or do we, can we stay on, for instance, first line beyond progression? There are some data also for Atizobev beyond progression. So what are uh, your thoughts on this aspect? I think this was a very intense discussion that we had on this topic during, during the session. And um, the criteria to select a specific treatment for our patient um, what was one of the key aspects that we we were we were arguing and not even arguing but recapitulating and and things that we have to consider when we when we select a patient and when we also select to change our sequence so safety response are extremely important the the selection or the switch of therapy goes beyond just radiological imaging we also have to, to um, consider um, different clinical scenarios. We have to consider the type of progression. We have to consider patient-specific aspects, including toxicity, despite good response, and of course, also patient decision-making. And I think the trials um, that we have in phase three, they are quite heterogeneous. We, we, um, we have different inclusion and exclusion criteria, probably most prominent portal vein invasion um, or main trunk uh, portal vein invasion that has been excluded in Himalaya, but also in REFLECT trial, but not in Atetsubev and Imbrave. And, and I think this really impacts um, um, the head-to-head -head comparison. What, what do you think about this? 
Yeah, I totally agree with you, Jens. In fact, if we look at the control arm of these trials, uh, and in, uh, for all these trials, the control arm uh, was a sorafenib, we can see that the results in the control arms are very different. So the population enrolled and the criteria of the, these trials were different, and so it's even more different. We all know that we cannot do cross-trial comparisons, but we always do in the clinic, but this is a Looking at the data in the control arm, um, looking at those data, it's clear that we cannot do cross-trial comparisons because the population enrolled in the different trials are different. We, we see different response rates, different overall survival, different progression-free survival with the serafinib in different trials. So this is a, another um, aspect that um, make more complex uh, the uh, current uh, treatment scenario. And so uh, it's not that easy to uh, select, uh, again, to select one treatment or the other. And uh, so we have to consider all the information we have to try to identify the better, uh, the best treatment for, uh, for our patients. And also for sequencing different uh, treatments, we don't have uh, clear data because we had the sequences uh, starting from serafinib, serafinib regorafinib, or serafinib cabozantinib, or even we have data after lenvatinib. But now, if we start with the atezolizumab and bevacizumab, what is your preferred second option? Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think it's very, very difficult. I think in daily practice, we have we have no indication that we have to use serafinib before we use this, the currently approved um, second-line therapies. But I think in, in many countries, we still have problems to skip serafinib. This is, put, for example, the case in Germany as well. So uh, the, the, the approval is based on serafinib pre-therapy. Um, so I, I, I think um, what, what the, the main take of the session is that that we now have several options, which which I think is is absolutely fantastic for our patients, and now it's it's up to us to take the clinical decision and and weigh the the preferences with the data and see what the individual patient needs to needs to uh, requires for its tumor. If there is an urge for response, we probably should rely on a tetzobev combination or potentially later on. Um, Lenva Pembro that has a high objective response rate, but if there's other factors um, or patient preferences that like esophageal varices, we might rely on other combinations. So, so I think we now have many options, many questions, and uh, the, the future will tell us the answers. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Jens. And so we, we can move to the second uh, um, talk of this uh, uh, amazing session. The second talk was uh, given by Rashna Shroff from the University of Arizona Toxon in the US and was uh, on latest data on cholangiocarcinoma. So we have talked about a hepatocellular carcinoma, now uh, cholangio. And uh, what are the most important uh, uh, aspects discussed uh, in, in this talk? And also, I would like to mention that also Anne Vogel from the Medical School of Hanover participated in this session and in the discussion. So, yeah, I think I think he really um, had had a, a very good impact on on the discussion, in particular, given his his prominent role in the fight trial, 
and he, he really is an expert for molecular for molecular precision oncology approaches in inhibitor biliary cancers. So I think Rasha's talk was was really great, and she, she highlighted um, the, the most important aspects of clinical developments in Colangio. And, and I think what became extremely obvious in her talk is the fact how heterogeneous um, these cancers are. Um, like we always put together intrahepatic, extrahepatic cholangiocarcinomas, and also gallbladder cancers, despite the fact that they are both phenotypically, but in particular molecularly, vastly different. And and this is probably the fact, uh, the the reason why over the last ten to twelve years, cholangiocellular carcinoma has been the domain for classical chemotherapy. But but Rashna also mentioned. Um, that there's developments in classical chemo, right? Yes. In fact, uh, as you mentioned, we had platinum cytabine uh, for more than 10 years, but other chemotherapy regimens have been proved effective or are being uh, tested. For instance, in second line, we have the modified Folfox based on the ABC06 trial, and uh, that is a standard of care or the standard of care after cisplatinum cytabine. But as Rashna uh, mentioned, there are there have been other trials. For instance, uh, the research was to uh, try to uh, um, identify more effective uh, chemotherapy regimens, adding a third drug. And uh, we had a publication of the Amibica trial that tested uh, Folfirinox versus gemcitamine cisplatin, but unfortunately no benefit um, was uh, uh, identified from uh, Folfirinox. So the standard of care in first line is uh, still uh, gemcis. But uh, again, in terms of uh, chemotherapy, there are uh, positive, very promising phase two data adding uh, nabapaclitax to gemcis, and there is an ongoing phase three trial uh, testing this uh, triple combination versus uh, the classical double combination. And uh, um, moving again to the second line, we have full Fox, but uh, very recently the NIFTY trial uh, has been published. This is a Korean trial testing Naliri in combination with the fluorouracil in, uh, in second line. And uh, the trial was positive, so uh, at least in, uh, in Asian patients, uh, Naliri fluorouracil can be another option in second line. And in, in, the, discuss, in, the, in the discussion, we um, talked a lot about the possibility to use ironotican versus Naliri, especially in countries where Naliri is not uh, available. Uh, for instance, in Italy, it's not available. And uh, so I think we all agreed that uh, there is a possibility to use a full theory in, uh, in patients with a cholangiocarcinoma in second line or in third line, um, in second line instead of a full fox or after full fox if we consider only the, the chemotherapy uh, regimen. But I said that cisplatin gemcitabine is still the standard of care in, in first line, but this is not completely true because at ASCO-GI, uh, the TOPAS-1 trial has been uh, presented. And uh, would you like to tell us something about the TOPAS-1? Yeah, I, I, I think this is a trial that, that we all awaited for a long time after the first press release, I think in, in November, December last year, that the trial turned out positive. And, and everybody was extremely eager to see the results. And um, basically, this, this is a trial that is the first indication that the addition of immunotherapy to, to a cytotoxic background 
can be beneficial in, um, in an all-comer trial of cholangiocellular carcinomas. And the trial is based on, on impressive data of a phase two trial that was conducted in Korea um, called the Meditram trial, um, where they had impressive objective response rate of around 70% for the combination of GEMSYS um, as well as Duvalumab. And the Topaz trial is based on these, um, based on this trial, um, and it used um, the classical ABC design of GEMSYS for six months in combination with Duvalumab, and Duvalumab was continued uh, until progression or toxicity. So, so here they used a combination of GEMSYS with um, the pd one inhibitor Duvalumab. And um, the, the trial, again, um, included many Asian um, patients, uh, roughly 50% were Asian and 50% were interhepatic cholangios. And I think, I mean, while um, the design and everything and, and basically also the results are intriguing, I, I, I think we all were a little bit disappointed about the OS. What, what, what do you think about it? Yeah, I think we were... We were so expecting this data that probably we expected uh, uh, more. But I think that the, the most important thing is, as, as you said, that we have uh, for the first time a new regimen that um, is more active than uh, cisplatin gemcitabine. And uh, <clears throat> it's the, the first demonstration in a phase three trial that immunotherapy can work in patients with cholangiocarcinoma because the, the prior uh, phase two trial in previously treated patients, like the keynote uh, 158, uh, results were not so um, so promising. So I, I think, uh, uh, yes, maybe we expected more because we would like to have more for our patients, but I think that the results uh, are there and we will have a, a new option. And also, it's important to, to mention that uh, um, Rashna presented uh, very well also the, um, the characteristics of patients with the cholangiocarcinoma. We know that not all patients, uh, not all cholangiocarcinoma are the same. There are uh, molecular alterations that characterize different subgroups of patients. And uh, for instance, um, for patients with FGFR2 gene fusions, and now we have uh, uh, drugs available in uh, previously treated patients like uh, um, pemigatinib in, uh, in uh, Europe and in the US and infigratinib in the US, or for patients with the IDH1 mutations, we can have uh, ivozidinib. And uh, uh, also Rashna presented other uh, molecular alterations or genetic mutations that are um, observed in patients with cholangio, like uh, BRAF mutation, and uh, we can use for these patients the combination of dabrafinib and trametinib based on their ROR trial, or for patients with HER2 alteration, we can use the um, combination of trastuzumab plus pertuzumab, and there is also other, there are also other trials ongoing. So I, I think the, the uh, the field is rapidly changing. There are uh, so many uh, new um, aspects that we have to, to study and to address, and there are new uh, available options for our patients, and we will have uh, even more in the near future. Uh, one thing it, that is really important uh, to me is, um, and, and a message, uh, is that we have to um, we have to uh, offer to our patients molecular testing because uh, we, we, we have talked about uh, uh, chemotherapy and immunotherapy, but targeted agents and molecular therapies are really important. So we have to offer our patients NGS or other uh, molecular testing. So we have to uh, define 
which uh, drugs can be the best options for for a um, uh, specific uh, patients. And, and this is an important message for clinical practice. We have to test patients and we have to identify the um, genetic aberrations. <laughs> so we have to we will able, we will be able to prescribe or to include patients in clinical trials to test the new molecular um, agents. I think something that we that we discussed and 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 this is I mean the the, the data for the molecularly stratified um, trials are so convincing. I mean the overall survival rates, objective response rates, as well as PFS for all these different targeted therapies are so convincing. And we have ongoing phase three trials that test um, these targeted strategies in first-line settings. So I, I think what became clear in our discussion, and, and Arne Vogel also iterated on that, it's very, very important to test molecularly as early as potentially possible and not yeah. wait to a progression yeah. until the patient becomes ineligible. Yeah, I totally agree. So um, the third talk that was uh, for the future, uh, it was given by Sandrine Fevre from uh, Paris in France, uh, was entitled, What is coming in HCC and CCA? So that the perfect uh, um, talk to think of the future of our patients. So how will be the future for liver cancer? I, I really like the talk of Sandrine because she, she, she recapitulated results from IOs and put it in, in perspective of what we have now and where we go for the future. And um, she delineated very well um, how a patient looks like that responds very well to the treatment. But as a note of caution, she also um, mentioned and, and, and showed results of patients that, that did not respond to uh, immunotherapy and also raised the important um, question of toxicity, in particular, um, the question of hyperprogression in response to, um, to immunotherapy. Um, wh what is your ex experience with, with hyperprogression? This is a really important point, at least uh, theoretically, uh, because we can have patients who rapidly progress on immunotherapy. I don't know if we see so many hyperprogressions as described in other uh, cancer types, but for sure we see some patients who rapidly progress uh, on, uh, on immunotherapy. And this is uh, really important because for these patients, uh, we have to decide if we, had, if we have to stop uh, immunotherapy because they are really progressing on, or um, it, or if it is a hyperprogression, but maybe followed by, as we see in other cancer types, for instance, in melanoma, followed by a response. So this is a really particularly um, difficult aspect, and uh, we have to uh, be very careful to avoid to go on with a treatment that is not effective, but we also have to avoid to stop a treatment that can be effective. So I think that the, uh, the CT scan done after um, six or eight weeks uh, should be the standard of care. And if we see a kind of progression, we have to repeat a CT scan maybe four weeks later and decide if we have to go on or to stop. And at the same time, it's really important to manage the toxicity because uh, these patients may respond well, may have a, an important benefit from immunotherapy, but uh, as you mentioned, uh, they can also have toxicity. So it's important to balance uh, the efficacy and the uh, management of the toxicity that is uh, crucial to optimize uh, the, the benefit of the treatment. And uh, um, 
there are other aspects that uh, Sandrine mentioned, for instance, the, the combination of uh, uh, immunotherapy and uh, local regional therapy or moving immunotherapy in earlier stages. I, 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 I think this is a, a very important aspect that, that now um, with these new combinations of EO and whatever, TKI or uh, VEGF or, or even um, immuno-immuno combinations, and the objective response rates of 20 to 30%, um, really the, the immunotherapy combinations, um, they move into earlier phases in, in an adjuvant, but also potentially neoadjuvant setting. And um, in particular, um, there's, there's new data coming um, with regards to intermediate stage and combination of immunotherapy and local regional therapy, but also um, uh, the ABC um, trial um, from Mainz that compares um, the immunotherapy combinations with local regional therapy. So I think um, th there's many scenarios where this combination could enter the intermediate or even earlier stages of hepatocellular carcinomas. Yeah, and another important uh, point for the future uh, that Sandrine mentioned is that uh, now we we consider for immunotherapy, uh, consider as immunotherapy uh, PD-1, PDL-1, and CTLA-4, but we have other promising drugs that are being tested uh, in uh, early phase uh, trials. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, new drugs targeting IL-6 uh, or TGT, TGF-beta, uh, and uh, LAG-3 and, uh, and other targets. So probably we will have uh, more options in the futures. And also in terms of um, new agents, we have uh, B-specific antibodies uh, that are targeting different uh, targets. So, uh, I, and also other important point are vaccination or CAR T cell that are used in hematological cancers, but now we have some ongoing trials also in liver cancer. So there are um, several new options that uh, are really, really interesting. And if the data will be positive, we will have even more options for our patients uh, in the future. So I think that the most important take-home messages from Sandrine talk and also from this session are that we have now immunotherapy both in in first line, both in HCC and in cholangiocarcinoma, and it's important to manage the toxicity, and in both, especially in 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 HCC, but there are some data also in cholangiocarcinoma. We uh, are we have ongoing trials uh, combining IO with uh, local regional therapy, or as you have already said, uh, moving IO in the adjuvant setting or already in the neoadjuvant setting. And uh, for um, and this is especially true for uh, HCC. And uh, um, an important message, uh, take-home message for cholangiocarcinoma is that the personalized medicine uh, probably will be the future, at least for uh, a part of the, the patients. And uh, we will have to uh, identify new drugs and new targets, but also we will have to study the mechanism of resistance to uh, offer new treatment uh, to patients uh, who progress on uh, targeted agents. So which are your uh, take-home messages or final? I, I, I could not agree more. I, I think it's exciting times for patients with primary liver cancer. And um, the, the, as I said, the, the, there's a lot of um, new aspects, a lot of new questions that couldn't be asked before. And I, I think the time 
um, will give us the answers. And um, I, I think HCC and, and also Colangior um, really are a, a prime field now for, for clinical trials, for development of new drugs, but also for biomarkers, as you said, for resistance, but also for, for prediction. Totally so, agree. Thank you so much, Jens, and thank you all for listening. Bye. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. ILCA. ILCA is today the world's leading and most important multidisciplinary society tackling liver cancer. ILCA.